Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the unseen upside. Available now. Lauren. Mike. Should I buy a face computer? Which one? (laughs) Any face computer. (laughs) Any face computer. I thought we were talking about a very specific one this week. Well, we are, but I'm not sure I can afford it. So I'm trying to figure out if it's like worth the money. Do I need a face computer? Is there a new, very expensive face computer out? There is, yes. (laughs) I don't know if you need one. What do you think that you would use it for? Uh, uh, I would say that I would probably do Zooms and Uh hang out on Slack, Uh type in Google Docs. Wow. The future is very sexy. I don't know. I think that we should probably bring in another person to ask them for their advice. Okay. I do expect an answer by the end of the show. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm the Director of Consumer Tech and Culture at Wired. Still loving that title. (laughs) It's such a mouthful. I love that journey for you. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined this week by Wired Senior Reviews editor, Julian Chokatu. Julian, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Hello. Julian's here. <laughs> Last time you were on the show, we were in a hotel room. That is true. We cramped uh, on Say some more. beds and some couches. At <laughs> <laughs> CES, the CES show. Okay. Go back a few weeks and you can listen to it. But Julian, I can't help but notice that you are joining us this week on a regular video call on your computer and that you are not wearing a big VR headset. That is very true. Very (laughs) astute observation. (laughs) All right. Well, on this week's show, we are going to be talking about the Apple Vision Pro. Apple's first mixed reality device will be out tomorrow, February 2, Groundhog Day. If you were able to pre-order one last week, or if you're currently listening to the show while sitting on the sidewalk in front of an Apple store in your city, and you've got a cool $3,500 burning a hole in your pocket. Plus tax. Plus tax, plus prescription lenses, then you are just about ready to strap in. Apple is taking a big step into a small market, and experts have noted that the Vision Pro is a bit of a gamble for the company. 
We will talk more about the VR market and where Apple fits in during the second half of the show. But first, we have to talk about what it's actually like to use it. So over the past couple of weeks, Lauren and Julian, you were both invited by Apple to try the headset on and take it for a spin in 2024. Julian, let's start with you. What was your initial experience like? Uh, it was good, I think, overall in the sense that it felt like a very polished product. And for a VR headset, or I guess a mixed reality headset, it was surprisingly something that I just felt like I could probably see myself using in some very limited ways. Um, I think what impressed me the most uh, was the eye tracking and also probably creeped me out the most, uh, but also the hand gestures that you could use to control the interface. Uh, so with the Vision Pro, when you put it on, you can basically look somewhere on the screen and that's how you trigger uh, or how you would then tap your two fingers to click on something uh, very much like a mouse. But here there's no controller or anything like that. You're just using your hands and your eyes. Um, so the way that you interact with everything, like scrolling a web page, you're basically pinching and zooming and moving your hand across uh, all sorts of different directions in the space around you. Uh, and it actually worked fairly well. Again, this was a very limited 30 minute demo. So uh, I don't know how it would react to uh, in, in low light conditions, for example. But overall, I think that was sort of the standout where it just felt very futuristic because I'm just using my eyes and my my fingers to to navigate an imaginary or virtual operating system. Julian, would you buy one yourself? Uh, not at $3,500. I think my wife would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, what did you think of the eye tracking and the gesture, the pinching? The eye tracking is pretty cool. It's this telltale feature because... As you move your eyes around and you look at a thumbnail, like let's say you open the Apple TV app, which was something that was a part of my very tightly controlled demos. I've had two at this point. Wherever your eyes focus, that thumbnail just kind of pops up, right? Or let's say that you want to um, bring up a menu. You sort of look to the left of the virtual environment in front of you. Or if you want to like swipe like like page through something you might look to the bottom of the application and then like a little scroll bar appears i'm, I'm not describing this it's like very hard to describe this product <laughs> talking about it in audio form yeah. old-fashioned podcasting and then you and then you just like so your eye like latches on to something your gaze latches onto something and then from there you use the the finger swiping to like actually do the thing you want to do the um the gesture control while pretty precise, I found to be a little bit uncomfortable. Apple very specifically told me to put my left hand by my left thigh. I am right hand dominant. And I guess the like the, the face computer will pick up on any like gesturing or movement that you're going to do with your left hand. So the left hand goes on the side. The right hand, they said, rest your forearm on your thigh. Don't feel like you have to put your arm in the air, which I'm guessing is because Apple has said like they don't want people to be fatigued. Like even when they've justified not making a touchscreen MacBook, they have said, you know, we don't think that that would just fatigue your arm. Right. So so like you're supposed to rest your arm on I'm doing it now on your on your right thigh and then just and then just like pinch your fingers together. I couldn't comfortably do that. Like it's it's a very if anyone who's listening right now, just <laughs> do this thing where you sit back in a chair, it could be a desk chair, it could be your couch. Mike's doing it now. He's straightening up. And try to put your forearm Rest it on your thigh. 
if you have maybe a shorter torso, you might be able to do this. I can't do it. Can you do it? Are you yeah. resting comfortably? I'm like yeah. hunched over. Yeah, you are. I'm like you look uncomfortable. You look like you're reaching. Very uncomfortable. So, so I have to do a thing where my arm is kind of in the air, mm-hmm. floating in the air to like use the pinch control. It was fine for the half hour demo that I did it. I could see it getting tiring over time. Uh, that said, to Julian's point, this is all very, very impressive technology. Out of the gate, it just feels extremely awkward. Um, we should also note that Wired has not yet published a full review of these products. The first round of reviews were out this week. There are a select number of journalists who have spent, and YouTubers who have spent like hours with this thing. We haven't had that experience yet. So right. we can't you, really comment on it. You both got to try it back in June. Yeah. And uh, then, yes. And then right, you tried Julian, it. It was June that we tried it, WWDC. Yeah, I think I think it was just you in June, and then my first experience was in January, where Lauren also got that secondary experience. Yeah, and <laughs> okay. Julian tried it in New York City, where um, he was able to walk around and hang out in coffee shops like a nerd with it on your face, right, Julian? No, no, that was I was still in a very, very, very controlled demo, which I wish that would be fun. I wish I could have left that and just walked around New York with uh, Vision Pro and definitely not get mugged. Yeah, definitely not. Okay, so I wear prescription glasses, and I know that there's special consideration uh, inside the headset for people who wear prescription glasses, right? No, sorry, you can't get a Vision Pro. (laughs) I'm not allowed. (laughs) No, Apple has thought of that. Jillian, do you want to say more? Yeah, I basically had to give uh, Apple my prescription and this there's a similar function that'll work uh, when you're just ordering off of Apple's website. You provide your prescription and then they have a partnership with Zeiss where they're making these little magnetic inserts, I think, that pop right into the Vision Pro headset. So once you place your order, uh, I think for reading glasses, it's like 99 and then for a prescription, it's 150 um, and you just pop those into your Vision Pro and that's sort of it. And it worked perfectly. I didn't have to keep my glasses on. I think it would have made it 10 times more uncomfortable if I had my glasses on. But um, so that's, it was kind of a pretty seamless approach. How comfortable was it for you in general to wear? Yeah, I went in thinking uh, it would be a little bit uncomfortable because historically when I've used VR headsets before, I just never wanted to wear them for more than an hour. Um, After 30 minutes, I didn't really think of the headset in general. Like it wasn't too tight. It wasn't too uncomfortable. The worst thing for me was there was a bit of light bleeding in through the nose area and maybe it's just my nose is big or something. I don't know. But um, they did say, and you know, this was right after some journalists had already written about it and experienced and mentioned that some, you know, uncomfortability um, and, and the weight of the headset. Uh, we did spend a decent amount of time, like maybe five, 10 minutes, like adjusting the headset to like, so that it fell in the right place so that it was balanced based on my cheekbones and on my head. Uh, so it, I think it definitely takes a little bit of time to dial that in. Uh, but I also only tried one of the types of straps and there is another strap that's included in the box so that you can hopefully get a better fit. But at the end of the day, it's a headset. It's not going to work for everyone's head if we're like perfectly, I think. Uh, and that's just kind of the nature of that type of product. What did you think, Lauren? How did it fit you? Julian and I have very different heads. Yes. So Julian is 6'4". <laughs> <six laughs> You're 6'4"? 
I am six four, yeah. And you have a rather large head. Uh, Lauren is significantly more petite, <laughs> although not 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 small, but you're you're tall. It, yeah, I appreciate everything you're saying. Totally, this is <laughs> you are correct. And your head is, is smaller. I have a narrow face. Yes. And it's what's funny to me is that Julian and I do have different heads. And head sizes and face shapes. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this in the Catch a podcast, but it's true. And we both had similar experiences. Really? I also experienced the light bleed underneath the bottom rim of the Vision Pro and um, and also experienced after a half hour or so some discomfort because of the weight of the headset kind of resting at my cheekbone area. And then afterwards, uh, one of the Apple public relations representative said oh how about this strap and then i tried the second set of straps which the second one with that has the top strap um kind of just gives you like a little bit of an a, the slightest bit of um support or angling of the face computer so it's not resting quite so heavily on your cheeks mm. and that felt a little bit better but once again didn't get to try it for an extended period of time Okay. Was, I mean, was the demos. top strap annoying for you? Because that one goes like directly over your head too, right? Yeah. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's funny because I read Milai Patel's review in The Verge and one of the things, in addition to it being a multi-thousand word, very thorough review, he makes a couple references to his hair. <laughs> Is this going to mess up my hair? Uh, I don't care. I'm like, even on a good day, I'm like, oh, my hair is kind of a mess, whatever. Uh, no, it didn't. The top strap didn't bother my head, nor did I care if it like kind of ruffled my hair a little bit. So that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't a concern. Uh, it's a it's a hefty device. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk about how this is potentially just a first generation device and Apple is concurrently working on something that's smaller and lightweight. And um, this isn't the end vision. This is the initial vision. Sure. No pun intended. But um, if we're just talking about this product as it is now, if we are telling our listeners and our friends like whether or not they should spend thirty five to thirty eight hundred dollars on this now, these are the factors you have to consider. Right. One other big factor, which is something I want to talk about before we take a break, is the apps that you saw in your demo. What were the apps? You mentioned yeah, watching have, something we, on Apple TV. Yeah, we should give a shout out to our producer, the excellent Boone Ashworth, who wrote a great story on Wired.com this week about the apps that are and are not available on the Apple Vision Pro. The ones I saw were a lot of the native apps. Uh browsed safari browsed quote unquote like you know put in like wired.com using the virtual keyboard and checked out how that looked and then and are, are uncomfortably pinched and <laughs> to zoom um red boon story no i actually didn't get the chance to do that but uh apple tv yeah mm -hmm. saw some videos in apple tv disney plus mm -hmm. which was cool um the photos app did you try the um, mindfulness app? I think it was the sort of meditation um, demo. I may have tried that one in June. Did you try that one? Yeah, I, I, of a lot of the experiences for me were also native, except for like one or two of those interactive dinosaur videos where there's like dinosaurs that show up on the screen and they actually see where you're standing in the room. Um, there was like one or two third party apps, but the mindfulness app which is the same that you can find on your apple watch for example i thought was a pretty good showcase of how you can use something like that in a vr space because it 
feels much more meditative than like using it on an Apple watch, for example, uh, puts you in that headspace right there, blocks out everything around you, puts some nice music on. And, uh, even if it was a minute of meditation, it actually quite was, was quite nice. So, yeah, the positioning of this is interesting because right now it's not clearly defined what this is really for. I mean, Apple has touted some of the productivity apps, like the idea is that the workspace in front of you could theoretically be limitless, right? You just have all this space around you to put as many windows as you want or need in order to work effectively. Um, sure, that's one positioning of it. I think this really shines as an entertainment device. Mm. I think during my demos, that was the only time I ever felt any sense of like real emotion or excitement was looking at rich media or movie trailers. Um, just being sort of immersed in that world, that was... That was pretty cool. What's interesting about that, though, is that there are some pretty big media services that have declined to work with this. And that is, uh, let's see, Netflix. Netflix. Right? YouTube, yeah. not optimized for this. Spotify. Although, I mean, when I think of listening to Spotify, it's like, just put it on my Sonos and walk around the house. Maybe, right? you, like, can, why would I, maybe you can hang I out with your AI DJ in <laughs> VR. Maybe. <laughs> Listen to your favorite pod and a face computer. I, I don't know, but... Um, and maybe that'll change over time, right? Because this would not be the first Apple product where we've seen the hardware launch before the app ecosystem is totally in place. Uh, but considering that I think that this has a good chance as an entertainment device, I'm kind of surprised to see some of the entertainment makers not not playing nice with Apple on this. We'll put a pin in that because we're going to talk about apps in the second half. So let's take a break and we'll come right back. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. So with the Vision Pro, Apple is entering the VR market very late Meta and Sony and Microsoft all have a years-long head start. 
over Apple and compared to what those headsets can do and what sorts of experiences are available for them, the Vision Pro does not have a lot of apps. It's also way more expensive. So Lauren, I know you've thought a lot about this, so I want to ask you, is Apple taking a big risk here? Yes. It's interesting that you said Apple's late to this because they're either late or they're early, which is to hmm. say that Yes, other people have developed this before. Virtual reality has been a, a pie-in-the-sky idea, this this ideal of computing for, what, 30 years? Mm -hmm. Maybe more? Actually, more, um, because we're old. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, but Apple may be early to this idea of spatial computing and AR and mixed reality and pass-through technology. That means that you are not fully enveloped even though you've got a thing on your face and we've talked about some of the discomforting parts of that, that you're actually, you do see the real world in addition to the virtual world. Um, Apple may also be early to this level of granular gesture controls. Um, they may help build a new app ecosystem for immersive video, 3D video content for it. Um, you know, there are some comparisons being made to the first iPhone the Apple Watch launching without a clear use case and then it becoming clear that it was ideal for fitness. Um, I think a little bit about the iPad, honestly, and not just because iPad apps are being converted into Vision Pro apps with, you know, supposedly the, the checking of a box. Um, I think about the iPad because it's funny, in my Facebook memories the other day on January 27th, this memory popped up of me sitting at my desk in a, in a former newsroom holding uh, like a 10-inch piece of cardboard to my face. It was the day uh, that the iPad was announced, January 27th, 2010. And I didn't have an iPad. I mean, I wasn't granted like an early early access unit or anything. But I had a piece of cardboard at my desk that was approximately that size. And someone took a photo of me holding it up to the side of my face, pretending to make a phone call on it. <laughs> and the joke was, are we really going to be making phone calls with these giant tablets. By the way, Apple was not first to tablets either. Right. Those had been attempted before too. And what we learned like pretty quickly, which I eventually came around to because I didn't really have an iPad for a while and then eventually I was like, oh, I like the iPad a lot, is that it was a new type of interaction and a new type of computing that we just couldn't really imagine because we had the phone before. And so part of me wonders if um, there's a little bit of resistance to this because it is a new type of computing and we're picturing all the things that we can currently do on our phone or our Mac or our iPad or whatever and saying like, well, it doesn't exactly translate here, right? Right. right. And um, I think that could be true. So I think it is true that we are perhaps not ready for this type of spatial computing and that Apple has done a good job in making a convincing case for it. And it is also true that Apple is taking a huge, huge risk because asking people to put a computer on, I think, one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like it's it's a big bet right right there is there is a, a cultural resistance to face computers that we have seen correct and this is a very philosophical argument but i think we're at a time in in our lifetimes when you start to think about that third space there have been articles written about this right you have work or school and then you have home and then what's that third space that people are supposed to go to to establish Sleep. a sense of community? <laughs> oh, right. Aside from like flopping on your couch and watching Netflix mindlessly at night, right? Like like it used to be church. It used to be gyms. It used to be like, 
And in the pandemic really forced a reckoning around that. Like, where do we go to find community and establishing community? I think it's really it's really important for people. And especially when your head's down on a computer all day long. Yeah. So for me, like wanting to wrap my face in something else that isolates me or cuts me off from the world isn't super appealing unless it actually does effectively supplant some of the screen time I already have. Right. Like maybe you'll spend less time on your phone if you spend more time hanging out with your friends in Vision Pro. Maybe. And maybe that's a paradigm that we just can't envision yet because we're so addicted to our phones. Right. Well, that's interesting. What do you think? Everything you said just resonated with me because I do feel like we don't really think about these things. They're handed to us. They're accepted into our lives and then they just become part of us and we don't really think about them. And it's hard for us to stop and look at a face computer and say, okay, how does this fit into my life? If there's nothing compelling about it, that is anything different than what we already know. So I do think that like, okay, I think this device is a development kit, right? It's way too expensive for normal people. So the people who are buying it are people who are really interested in what it's going to be. And that's consumers and developers, right? So developers are going to start thinking about it differently once they try it. They're going to start making apps that this is going to allow that other headsets do not allow, given the mixed reality controls you talked about and the ability for presence in physical space and presence in virtual space. I think there's going to be all kinds of great apps. When those come, this device will just become another one of those things that is handed to us and we are told how to use it. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, like oh, we're told how to use it because the apps dictate that or because the UI is so intuitive that we figured out or because Apple is telling us how to use it. I think all three, but primarily hmm. the first one. The okay. fact that like the reason that you get an iPhone is because of the camera and photo sharing on social media. Maybe. Right. Like that's a reason why a lot of people want a phone or they want a phone because of social pressure, because that's where all their friends are hanging out. What if all your friends are hanging out in some VR world in five years? then it's like you have to get one of these headsets right. to get into the VR world, right? Right, right. Yeah, like maybe 30 years ago, we would have looked at gamers who sat there all night long with a little headset on talking to their friends through a virtual game and said like, wow, that's a lot of, that's a time suck. But it's actually an incredibly so important social experience. It is. Julian, what do you think about whether or not developers are going to latch onto this? Well, it's weird because... Vision Pro feels like something that Apple has been leading up to over the past couple of years. Um, like just the way with starting with the introduction of the M1 and Apple Silicon, the whole idea was now you can use iPhone apps on a Mac. Uh, and the way they've changed that design language over the past few years where they're making it so that one app sort of adapts to your phone. And then when an iPad with iPad OS, it now adapts to the shape of an iPad. And then that is now available on a Mac and that adapts to more desktop orientation. But it feels like all of this was meant for vision OS where you're now able to resize your apps and it can take the form of an iPhone app. It can take the form of an iPad app or a Mac app and a desktop environment. And so it feels like Apple has subtly maybe been pushing this idea and developers have been either taking advantage of that and building for it. So I do think from the developer side, there's going to be heavy interest, not only because they've partially already there and maybe it is as simple as checking off a box because of part all of this work, but also, I mean, in general, like over the past two years, I've seen like an insane amount of interest in getting 
face computers off like through AR glasses. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and even at CES, I tried like a demo version. Uh, Mike saw me sitting there and so did a lot of people at CES just watched me in the media room uh, using uh, this thing called the Nemo Planet, uh, which is like a little tiny computer that I plugged into uh, some AR glasses and I was typing away in like a Chromium uh, desktop browser um, with, with no one could see what I was staring at, but I was looking at a couple of different screens and I, there's so many companies now that are doing this type of thing, TCL, Xreal, um, like there's just so many companies doing this that I think everyone is trying to beat everyone else to the punch. And it's just, this is sort of the ideal form of what maybe Vision Pro is in the future uh, from, a, from a computing standpoint in terms of like using it for work. But I think Apple is more uh, ready perhaps for the entertainment aspect of it, because that is also in some ways easier. Yeah. You just slap some fun content on and it looks great. Great. Um, but the computing aspect is a little trickier because now I have to carry a keyboard or uh, a mouse and how do you interact with it? But um, I think that, yeah, they've done some really good and interesting things to make it work in the Vision Pro from what we've seen so far. But I don't know if I'm going to want to wear a Vision Pro in a coffee shop. That's just kind of strange. Yeah, the eyesight thing is interesting because I wasn't able to see what my eyes look like in eyesight. And uh, Julian, I don't think you were in your demo either, right? But the reviewers no. who got to take it home and spend time with it, they've been sharing photos this week of what their eyesight looks like, which is like a virtual rendering of what your eyes would look like if, let's say, you're like you're sitting on the couch wearing the Apple Vision Pro and your spouse comes in and looks at you. The idea is they would be able to see your eyes, but it's not. You realize it's a visual rendering of your eyes and they look funny. Yes, it does look very funny. But I think that eyesight ties into what Julian has been getting at, which is that like the Vision Pro as it exists now is not the thing. It's the thing that's going to get us to the thing. Right. Like in, you know, five or 10 years, it's going to be a headset that is very comfortable to wear. That is not crazy expensive. That disappears more. And with this, you can see Apple trying to make it disappear, right? EyeSight is an attempt to make the technology disappear and make it look as though you're just wearing a set of ski goggles. You're not wearing a $4,000 computer on your head, you know? Um, also with the FaceTime avatars. Like we've seen screenshots of people yeah. doing FaceTime and, you know, it's it's a digital representation of you wearing no headset but like your head floating in space, talking to your friend's head, also not wearing a headset, floating in space. So they removed the headset so that you can talk to each other face to face with these creepy 3D avatars. Yes. Right? You just made me think of what the title of this episode should be. What is it? Apple's Uncanny Valley Pro. I like it. <laughs> well, there's also your, your favorite topic, the battery pack, right? Like, oh, yeah, Julian. Let's go to Julian first. <laughs> well, Tell us about this battery pack. It, you mean, the, the point is that, you know, Apple is making it very hard for you to notice the battery pack in its marketing around the thing, right? Like, they're just not showing it in photos. They're not showing it in the demo videos. But yeah, it's it's an actual real battery pack. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know... Put it in your pocket when you get up and walk around. Well, what if your pants don't have pockets? I don't know. There's a lot of uh, weird parts of the battery. Like it makes sense for where the technology is right now. And obviously I don't think there was just any way around it uh, mm -hmm. because I would much rather have a battery in my pocket than like strapped to the back of my head and potentially 
acting as like a, a head warmer. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's just also so unlike Apple, it felt um, to make such a sacrifice in, in that way. Like it felt like the type of thing that, you know, Samsung would come out with a headset <laughs> and they'd have a battery pack hanging off the thing. And then in five years, Apple would come out with a headset that didn't have that. And that's how, now <laughs> Apple, everyone is like, wow, look what Apple did. And uh, that's also kind of what I feel about Vision Pro when compared to some of these other existing headsets. It's like, it does seem like Apple might be late to the game, but also Apple has that very annoying ability to just make a product suddenly popular and like the thing that everyone wants it's very annoying but uh you know i don't think uh, i think a lot of people that are going to buy it and there's going to be a lot of interest in it because it's just apple doing it and they're going to say yeah i want that that looks cool uh well i have to get it it's just the new apple thing right yep i mean we should address the elephant in the room though the big blue elephant in the room which is the meta quest mm. i mean the meta quest also and the meta quest pro which is their more advanced model, also doesn't have an external battery pack. It's on your it's on your head. It's in it's in the face computer. Yeah. Um, and that's actually been a pretty popular device in the VRAR market, right? By some estimates, they've sold more than 20 million units of the MetaQuest since it launched. Um, the first unit was, I think, just full VR. Then they started to do pass-through video as well, so that you can see some of the real world around you when you're using it. That's the one I've used the most. I've used the MetaQuest 2 a fair amount. And like, it's it's pretty good. Right. They now have the MetaQuest 3, the Pro, which is more expensive. And the 3 has better pass-through video, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. It also has hand controllers. Oh, okay. So they're not doing gesture control. I'm sure they're working <laughs> on it. I mean, <laughs> they have a whole R&D lab that's dedicated to this. So yeah, the, the, Apple could popularize this on another level. The technologies in some ways much more advanced, but um, they wouldn't be the first manufacturer to sell millions of units of this type of computing device. That's right. I do want to also touch on back when you were talking about like the the companies sort of like pushing this and us accepting it. One thing I was thinking about was with eyesight, like I understand their intent of like when someone looks at you when you're wearing the headset, like now you can see their eyes and how they're emoting. But at the same time, why couldn't we just make it so that like when someone looked at you, they just saw you wearing the headset and <laughs> like you could just take it off if they wanted to ask you a question and you wanted to talk to them. Like why, why go so far as to make it like all these production, like marketing materials that they have, like of a person wearing the Vision Pro talking to someone next to them on the couch who doesn't have one on? Like that was the part that I think that just irked me the most because it's this sort of idea that like you could just leave it on and we've handled everything else for you, but you could have also just not had that feature and it would have been one step less creepy. Yeah. Uh, and it just was seemed very unnecessary, all this like work to get that sort of effect. Um, but yeah, that was just a, a little odd to me. Hmm. That's a very good point. It's also, it's, I mean, it's very Apple to, you know, control the experience as much as possible but um you know nothing new under the sun <laughs> so i guess we'll wait and see on apple vision pro <laughs> watch this space <laughs> watch this space with your creepy eyes <laughs> uh this has been a great conversation but we'd still have to take care of recommendations so please stick around we'll be right back 
Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids, what's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Julian, as our guest, you get to go first. What is your recommendation? Uh, I am recommending an app called Thumbtack. And I have been using this app for the past few months uh, now that I am, and this is, again, very weird to say, a homeowner. Uh, I have a lot of really random tasks that I need help with, uh, things like changing uh, electrical stuff, uh, adding outlets, uh, I, I don't want to really touch wires and electrical components in a home. So I found out that there's this app that you could use to look for pros in your area, like handymen or electricians or whoever. Uh, and you just kind of look, look for whatever you want. And there's a bunch of recommendations that usually come up, a lot of reviews from people in the area. And you can sometimes see pricing details or just talk to the person and get a quote It's just a very, very nice way of lowering that sort of overwhelming barrier to like, oh, crap, something's wrong in my house. I need to fix it, but I don't want to mess things up and do it myself. Uh, I try to do a bit of that, but, um, you know, at a certain point, I'm not going to, uh, you know, replace an outlet. I I just don't really feel comfortable doing that. Maybe one day. But uh, this is a really great app that's been kind of helpful for me the past couple of months. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's very, very slick. And I just was surprised that it was such a common thing that uh, had lots of people on it, too. So it's not like just one handyman in your area. It's a, it's a lot. I'm also in New York, so maybe that that's a part of it. But <laughs> How does it compare to TaskRabbit? So I've actually never used TaskRabbit. So I'm sure there's some cross-pollination with some types of tasks being available on TaskRabbit, but this is definitely the place to go for like more home-focused stuff where I assume TaskRabbit has random odd jobs like rewrite my resume or whatever, something like that. And is this is this a web platform or is it like an iOS app or a, an Android? App? Uh, I think it's yeah. You can use it on the website. I think I predominantly use it on the Android app, but there's an iPhone app. Uh, very easy to use. Just search. You know, uh, I had to move a washer dryer the other day, and I searched for washer dryer, and people came up that knew how to touch a washer dryer, I guess, or operate one. So they they helped out. It was great. Is there is it available as a Vision Pro app? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Can you sit no, there on I'll your couch to, watching it? I'll have to get to back get back to you on that. Through Safari, yes. <laughs> Julian, you're really like you're not doing anything to bolster your reputation as somebody who like writes about technology for a living. I'm just saying. You know what? I you know now that you say that Vision Proing uh, and, and having like pass through video where I can get guidance on how to switch out some plugs or whatever. That seems like the kind of useful thing that I could use it for. There you go. Thumbtack killer right there. <laughs> All right. That's a good recommendation. Thank you. And congratulations on now having a giant home that you have to hire people to take care of for you. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Lauren, what is your recommendation? I'm visit Julian's house. My recommendation 
shout out to our old buddy Galad, who once made a very simplistic food recommendation, and it just really resonated. Butter lettuce. Butter lettuce. Butter lettuce. Is this lettuce with butter on it? No. <laughs> it is a type of leaf lettuce. Those of you who work at Wired, who are listening to this podcast, <laughs> all, all 20 of you, um, will know that I have a significant fear of arugula. Mm-hmm. It's a death trap. Mm -hmm. It's What is that lettuce? Is it a lettuce? It's the devil's lettuce. It's the devil's <laughs> lettuce. Now, I'm going to get all kinds of hate mail from people who love arugula, chefs, normies, whatever. I understand it's one of the more nutritious leaves out there. It's really more like a vine or a something scrap a weed okay let's stop <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> stop disparaging All right, arugula but butter lettuce it is so it's so light it's mild it's tender it's it's perfect for salads or sandwiches it's perfect as a garnish it's got a great color you can mince it um i've been making some delightful winter salads lately with butter lettuce and radicchio and shallots and a little like maybe a little bit of gorgonzola cheese if you're not a vegan i'm looking at you mike and there's <laughs> i have to mention it every every episode <laughs> uh, no comment you can you know what you can use some vegan parmesan cheese oh, thank just you as thank you i appreciate that and nutty and delightful <laughs> like this Okay. <laughs> Wait, so this this looks tiny compared to like normal lettuce. It's it's like no, it's, it comes in this like as this giant head with like the root attached. Yeah, it's like, you know, the size of like maybe a grapefruit. Mm, a little bigger. It's like a it's like a, it's like the size of the head you need to wear the Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> I know it's like it's like a baby's head. Nice. It's like yeah, uh, Julian, try it and let me know what you think. Very curious. Uh, I'll, I look for it. I also didn't know uh, your your stance on uh, arugula, which was just very enlightening. <laughs> if you were here in the San Francisco office, you would see that whenever we get uh, food that has arugula in it, I'm like I put out the warning on Slack. Yep. Is it is it the taste or? <laughs> it's a little bitter, but it, no, it's mostly the the texture. It's mo it's like this to me, like. <laughs> go on forever no matter how much you chew it i'm gonna masticate it which sounds dirty but it's not it just feels stringy and like you're gonna choke on it her hatred for arugula is the only thing that she talks about with more frequency <laughs> than my dietary restrictions <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> butter lettuce is where it's at mike i would like to hear your recommendation now okay i'm going to recommend a television show okay it's an ITV show, which is the British network, and you can watch it on BritBox, which is how I watched it. It's called Shetland. And okay. it's it's is that named a pony? It, no, there's <laughs> Yes, Shetland of of the ponies. Mm -hmm. Um it's a, you know, it's an a, a chain of islands in far northern Scotland. It's almost to Norway. It's way up there. Uh, so it's remote. And the show is, it's a cop show. It's one of those like British, you know, detective inspector and detective constable, chief inspector, blah, blah, blah shows. And uh, it's very good. Um, I never really got into like the British inspector shows 
before. Um, I think like Midsummer Murders was the only one that I that I had previously watched. But Shetland is remarkably well written. It's also very well acted. Um, it does not fall into like the tropes and the stereotypes that are very common of these shows. It's also just delightful to watch a cop show where there's like no guns. So, <laughs> I mean, yes, there is murder, but, you know, the cops aren't running around pointing guns at people. Uh, it's also the old fashioned way. They like they put a bunch of ether in a cloth and then put it against people's faces. No, they <laughs> they they walk up to them and they say, they you're don't. under arrest. Oh, okay. You need to come with me. Okay. And the person goes, OK, and they like, get in the back of the car. They don't have like consumption and they're walking by the sea and experiencing the vapors and... there is a lot of walking by the sea <laughs> there is okay i looked at the trailer and i saw the sea a lot yes <laughs> the scenery is gorgeous oh okay because the whole show is shot in the rural parts of shetland as well as like in the cute little town that they have there lerick 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 i'm gonna get assassinated for pronouncing it incorrectly but um it's uh it's one of the things that makes the show enjoyable and i will say i have watched there are eight seasons i've watched seven of them not one goddamn pony Really? No ponies. Gosh, what a disappointment. A lot of scotch, like mm. a lot of whiskey, mm -hmm. a lot of kilts, mm -hmm. a lot of left-hand side driving. <laughs> How are the accents? Brilliant. Oh, love it. Absolutely amazing. My favorite thing about the accents is that like Scottish people don't say little, they just say we. So oh, okay. A wee chat. I thought you were going to say little. No, no, it's we. English. We. Yeah. A wee chat. Wee. Your wee kilt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your wee sister? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Anyway, Shetland. Uh, yeah, stream it on BritBox, which is okay. uh, one of the better deals if you like British programming. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is the second or third time you've recommended BritBox, and I'm sufficiently intrigued. Yes, mm -hmm. you, yes, you should be. It's okay. very good. <laughs> Excellent recommendation. Thank you for that. Thank you. All right. And with that, our show is over. Thank you both for being here and talking about face computing and Apple's place in that environment. Yeah, thanks to Julian for joining us. That was really fun. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can endorse all of us on LinkedIn. Just check the show notes. <laughs> Our producer is Boone <laughs> Ashworth, and we will be back with a new show next week. Until then, goodbye. Is there LinkedIn on the Apple Vision Pro? <laughs> I endorse you for eyesight. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.